Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 18 for this morning's message and for our time together here today. The song that Pastor Scott and the band uh, just sang and performed and ministered to us through is a powerful message, both in the story behind the song and in the message of the song, saying it might be the hardest thing you ever do. And frankly, in and of ourselves, that idea of forgiveness is completely impossible, But the Bible tells us greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And with God's help and with his strength and with the Holy Spirit within us, I pray today that God would help us to experience his forgiveness and to extend his forgiveness, maybe in a way that we haven't done in a long time. We, of course, here over the past month at Crossing have been in a sermon series called Unhindered. And in the course of the series, we are looking at various things that the Bible says will hinder our relationship with God. In fact, uh, these specific things that we've identified are things that God says will hinder our prayer life. They're things that will keep us from praying or they're things that will keep us from, from really answers to our prayer. And so God identifies numerous things throughout the Bible that hinder us in this. Now, now, these things obviously hinder us in our relationship with God, but many times they also hinder our relationship with others. And I believe wholeheartedly one of the things that God is bringing us to today is he's showing us clearly the hindrance of unforgiveness. The hindrance of unforgiveness. A Christian does not mean, uh, being a Christian does not mean that we are perfect. Being a Christian does not mean that we never make a mistake, that we never do wrong. Nor does being a Christian mean that we are never done wrong. In fact, the thing that separates me as a Christian from someone who's not is the simple reality that I have repented of my sin and I have believed in Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And because he is my Lord and Savior, he has forgiven me, he has cleansed me, he has given me a new nature where I now desire to live my life to honor and glorify God. And yet, I still live in an imperfect world. Frankly, I still live in, a, in an imperfect body where there are temptations of the flesh or there's all sorts of pressures from the world around us. And we still live in this broken world where there's all sorts of pressures to do things that are not pleasing to God. And frankly, in this broken world, we all experience the fact that at times we do wrong and at times we are done wrong. Peter was not surprised by this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter writes to the believers of his day, and here's what he says. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't think it's strange when you go through difficulties. Don't think it's strange or crazy when people do you wrong. Now, when Peter wrote those words, the leader of the day was a leader, a cruel tyrant by the name of Nero. And Nero had falsely accused Christians for a fire that had taken place in the area. And as a result of that, he began to persecute Christians largely by burning them at the stake. They had done nothing wrong. This was all his attempt to get rid of Christians and ultimately the name of Christ. And yet God would write through Peter and he would say, don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal. Don't be surprised that you're being falsely accused. Don't be surprised that you're being done wrong. By the way, I'm with you. I'm going to see you through. I'm going to be faithful, but don't be surprised by this. I imagine this morning, at some level, all of us have experienced someone doing wrong against us. In fact, by, by a simple show of hands, how many of you have ever had anyone ever at any extent, at any level, they could have cut their eyes at you in a negative way. They could have said something. They may have done something completely intentional to hurt you. But how many of you have ever been wronged at any level by anybody throughout your life? Anybody at all? Look around you, folks. You are in good company, okay? You know what that means? We're all messed up. That's what it means, Okay. We've all experienced wrong and we've all been wronged against at some level. Perhaps someone lied about you or lied to you. Perhaps someone unthinkable hurt you in the worst way. Perhaps someone violated your trust. Perhaps you faced some sort of physical or verbal abuse. 
Perhaps a friend or a spouse turned their back on you. Perhaps a coworker manipulated the situation so that they would be promoted and you would be put down. Perhaps a family member, a leader, a mentor, a pastor did the unthinkable. What do you do when you've been wronged? When someone has done something against you? Matthew chapter 18, God's word speaks, as it does to every other matter of our life, to tell us exactly what we are to do when we go through these seasons and these situations. What do we do when someone has sinned against us? I believe wholeheartedly this morning that most of the time when we think of forgiveness, we think about forgiveness in the context of of, of this, basically this earthly side of forgiveness, Like when I think of forgiveness, I think about the way that I need to forgive others or I think about the way they need to forgive me and I think about in the context of human relationships. But what I believe God wants us to see this morning is this. How we forgive or refuse to forgive this side of heaven directly impacts our relationship with God. What God wants us to see about forgiveness is is not just how we treat one another and how we serve one another and how we show grace and mercy towards one another, but ultimately how we deal with each other has a direct impact on how God deals with us. Listen to what Jesus said about forgiveness in Mark chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Listen to his words. He said it this way. Whenever you stand praying, what's the next word? Forgive. By the way, that is a command. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. In other words, Jesus gave no exceptions. He gave no conditions. He gave no shortcuts. He says, if anything done against you, I'm going to be honest with you. I listen to that and I say, but God, you don't know what they did. But God, you don't know how bad this hurts. But God, you don't know the weight of this. And Jesus says, if anything is done against you. And then I come back, but God, look who they are. It was my spouse or it was my parent or, but God, it was my mentor. You don't know the way. And God says, if anything is committed by anyone, the command is to forgive them. We like to argue that. We come up with all the different but gods, if you will. But God wants us to see, no matter what the situation, no matter who the person, God is calling us to forgive. Jesus said, if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who's in heaven forgive your transgressions. It's in that context that Jesus brings us to Matthew 18 to teach us about this hindrance of unforgiveness. And instead of living with unforgiveness, he begins to show us how and why we must forgive. So I want to ask you if you're able to, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Matthew 18, verse 21. The Bible says that Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, he asked. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to, say it with me, 70 times. Next verse. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28, I'm sorry. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. 
But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you what? Wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Listen to Jesus' concluding statement, verse 35. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Speak to us in whatever ways are needed today. Break down walls, penetrate the barriers. And Father, speak to us that our lives will be changed and we'll be responding through obedience today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you may be seated. The hindrance of unforgiveness. Sadly, all of us have probably experienced the need to be forgiven but we've also experienced the reality of forgiving others. Unforgiveness can hinder us in so many ways. It can rob us of joy. It can steal our peace. It can lead, frankly, to all sorts of unhealthy things in our life. Living our life with a lack of forgiveness can cause us to be angry. It can cause us to be bitter. It can cause us to be resentful. And in that anger and that bitterness and resentment, it can lead us to all sorts of unhealthy actions, things that were sinful against God, things that are vindictive against others. It can lead to all sorts of negative things in our life. In fact, unforgiveness not only dramatically impacts our relationship with God, frankly, it can be a silent killer to kill relationships and to kill things that God is doing. It can be a great hindrance in our lives. Peter understood that. And so Peter begins this passage of scripture with a simple question. He asked Jesus one day, in fact, Peter kind of understands that living in this world means that at times people are going to sin against him. Even his own brother who he loves and he loves him, even his own brother that he has a good relationship, he says, Jesus, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? It's a good question, right? I mean, Jesus, I know people are gonna do me wrong. I know that people are gonna hurt my feelings. Even the people that I love and care about, there are gonna be times they do things that they don't mean to do, that hurt me, that offend me, that are a sin against me. And so Jesus, how often should I forgive them? Great question, Peter. I'm so glad that you asked. But before Peter could answer the question, Peter gives his own estimate. What do you say, Jesus? Do you think I should forgive my brother seven times? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Peter, in this moment, thought he was giving a very generous and noble answer. In Jewish culture in that day, they taught that you were to forgive a person three times. All right? So if Dana does something against me three times, I forgive you, and I forgive you, and I forgive you. But the fourth time you do it, I say, eh, not happening. Because in Jewish culture, they taught if someone comes to you for forgiveness the fourth time, it shows that they were never repentant in the first place, and therefore, you don't have to give forgiveness. Now, we listen to that one like, well, that sounds logical. We might even listen to that and say, well, I like that. Let's go with that one, please. We, we, we would prefer to give people the, eh, whether it's verbally, emotionally, relationship, whatever. So when Peter said, should I forgive up to seven times? What he was doing is he was looking at what the Jewish culture taught and he was doubling it and giving an extra one with one to grow on. Jesus, look how noble I am. Look how compassionate I am. I can forgive up to seven times. Peter's expecting Jesus to say, wow, Peter, that is so amazing. What incredible grace and mercy. Peter, you finally understand my heart. Well done, Peter. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus looked at Peter and said, I say to you, you're to forgive him 70 times seven. Now, I'm not a mathematical genius, but I know that means 490 times, okay? Jesus wasn't saying, you need to take a list and put it on the inside of your Bible, write your spouse's name and write every time. And when they get to 491, give them the act. That's not what he was saying. 
What Jesus was saying is he's giving an exaggerative term to basically say, Peter, no, I'm telling you because of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of your heavenly father, I'm telling you to constantly live with an attitude and with a willingness and a watchfulness and a readiness to forgive anyone for anything they sin against you. Even 491 times, you keep on forgiving. And it's in that context that Jesus gives us a story to teach us about the power of forgiveness. I want us to make four observations about forgiveness in our time together this morning. The first thing I want you to see is the picture of forgiveness. The picture of forgiveness. Jesus begins giving us a parable. A parable was a story. It was a word picture, if you will, that Jesus would often use to teach spiritual truths. So he would take a practical illustration to teach a spiritual truth. Now, one thing that's interesting about the, the parables is that oftentimes Jesus would give a parable and those who believed in him and followed him, they would get it immediately. They understood Jesus is saying, this is exactly what God is wanting us to do. But there were some, frankly, who didn't get it. They couldn't grasp it. In this context with this picture of forgiveness, Jesus gives us an unmistakable principle and picture of how God forgives us and therefore how we are to forgive others. The picture of forgiveness. The Bible tells us in verses 23 and follow, Jesus says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. What does Jesus tell us about God and his mercy and his forgiveness towards us? In this parable, he tells us about a king. And this king, the Bible says, is that it was time for the accounts to be settled. Now, in that culture, in biblical days, most everybody paid something to the king. Everybody paid taxes to the king. Whether they liked it or not, the IRS was calling for them, okay? They all had a tax to pay. But others also had an account to pay. It was common in that day for people to borrow money from the king or from the government, if you will. They would borrow money to purchase lands. They would borrow money to purchase various resources. They would even borrow money if they were in a state of severe poverty. They would borrow money from the king just to purchase food. And so the Bible says there was this story Jesus is telling. There's a king, and, uh, and he had loaned out various pieces of money, if you will, and it was time for the account to be paid. And get the picture from this pastor scripture. It's been a while. The king's been very patient. He's been very gracious in dealing with the people and allowing them to pay back as they could. But now it's time for the balance to be paid. And so the king tells one of his messengers, go bring the people. And so one by one, they're bringing the people in to settle the accounts. But then Jesus dives into, he points directly to a person, frankly, who had the most offensive and grievous account possible. This man owed, the Bible says, 10,000 talents to the king. Now, it's obvious to me as we sit here in June of 2019 here in Virginia, it's obvious to me that we do not live in Jewish or Roman culture. Because if we were in Jewish or Roman culture and I told you this guy owed 10,000 talents to the king, you would all go, <gasps> it would be an absolute shock and outrage that this guy owed this amount. In fact, in Bible days, in biblical times, a talent was not even a term of money. It was a measurement of weight. A talent referred to 75 pounds. It could be 75 pounds of gold. It could be 75 pounds of silver. But just for our today's sake of understanding, let me illustrate this for just a moment. Today, we don't measure gold in pound. We get measure it in ounces. As of Thursday afternoon, about five o'clock, an ounce of gold in America was valued at $1,334.10 an ounce. You can do the math of that. That means a single pound of gold is currently worth $21,345.60. A talent was 75 pounds. By today's standard, a single talent would be valued at $1,600,920. And this man owed 10,000 talents. That's more zeros 
and terms than your pastor even knows or understands, okay? In other words, he owes a lot of money. Most scholars believe biblically in that culture, a common laborer's salary, if you will, it would take him 15 years to earn one single talent. 15 years. Again, do the math. He owes 10,000 talents. That means literally in order for him to repay this debt that he has, it would take 150,000 years of labor. Let that sink in for just a moment. In other words, when Jesus said, hey, the king was very generous and now this servant owed him 10,000 talents, the people would have immediately thrown up their hands. What did this guy do? Something is wrong. Something is missing. I mean, did he just mismanage the funds that badly? Was he literally making one bad decision after another bad decision? After, did he just waste all of this? Was he out living like the prodigal son, spending all of his inheritance on riotous living? Was he, what was he doing with this money? You kind of get the impression that this guy has done things, frankly, that were wrong and things that were unthinkable. It's a lot. Yet the Bible says that he comes before the king and the king looks at him and says, this is ridiculous. This is unthinkable. I can't believe you've done all these different things. Look at what you've done. Look at what you've caused. Look at how mindless your actions have been. You've been so reckless. Look at the consequence for your wife and the consequence for your children. The king knows this guy owes a debt he can never repay. So the king says, sell him and his wife and his children as slaves. He's basically saying, I'm gonna get what profit I can. I'm cutting my losses and moving forward. I'm done with him. Now, please understand this is not an endorsement of slavery. However, in that culture, this is how one paid off their debt. In Proverbs 22, verse seven, the Bible says, the borrower is slave to the lender. This was a biblical principle that in that day, they practiced literally. If you were in debt, you became a slave until you paid off your debt. But in that moment, the man who had embezzled the money, stolen the money, mismanaged the money, made all the bad decisions, we don't know what he did with it. He does the only thing he can do. He lays prostrate before the king and he throws himself upon the mercy of the king. Notice what the scripture says. It says the master did three things. Now, let me ask you a question. How would you respond if someone came to you they, they had sinned against you. They had done wrong. And, but they come to you and they say, I'm so sorry. I'm going to make it all up to you. I'm going to pay it all back. But you know they can't pay it back. How do you respond? How do you respond if somebody says, listen, I'm going to undo everything I've done. I know I've done all these different things and I'm going to undo it all. But you know you can't go back in reverse time. You can't change these things. How do you respond? Jesus gives us an example of how God the Father responds by the master. And the master here did three things. Number one, the master received the plea for forgiveness. The man lays prostrate before God and he said, uh, before the master, and he says, please be patient with me and, and I'll repay everything. And I'm gonna be honest with you. In my flesh, my self-righteousness in that moment would like to say, oh, uh-uh. My, my self-righteousness would say, I don't wanna hear it, you're wasting your breath. My, my, my fleshly self-righteous would say, you can't repay me. You can't undo it. Be gone. I want nothing else to do with you. But that's not how the master responded. The scripture tells us very, very clearly in this moment that the slave fell to the ground. He prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave did something. He received the request he received the man's plea for forgiveness. He didn't say, I don't want to hear from you. He didn't say, you owe way too much. He didn't say, you're despicable, you disgust me. He didn't say, you've wasted your opportunity. He didn't say, you've blown it. Get out of my sight, never come back. No, he listened. He received it. The second thing the master did is the master responded with compassion. Notice the statement in verse 27. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him. The Lord of that slave felt compassion. Now think of this for a moment. The servant's case was completely hopeless except for one fact. The master was a man of great compassion. 
It means that the master had great concern. He felt great empathy. He recognized with consideration the need of that man. Think of it for a moment. The master had every right to be done with him, to sentence him away to prison. The master, frankly, had every right to take his life. He, but instead, the, the Bible says he felt compassion. There was nothing in the man's situation that would cause him to earn compassion. This has every indication that there was something within the king's heart that caused him to care for the man. There was something within the king's heart that caused him to show mercy. You know what mercy is, don't you? It is not giving someone what they deserve. So the Bible says that the king, the master, had compassion on him, and then he did the unthinkable, and he released him. He let him go. <laughs> I'm looking at this and I'm looking at the situation and I'm like, wait a second, man. You had every right to condemn the man. You had every right to sentence him away. You had every right to allow him to experience the consequence of his action. But instead, the Bible says that the master showed him mercy, not giving him what he deserved. He released him and let him go. But the third thing the master did is this. He not only released him to let him go, but the Bible says the, man, the master released the man of the debt he owed. Notice what the scripture says in verse 27. The Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now it was the master's money that was wasted. The master, the king, he knew he was never gonna see this money again. He knew it would not return and there was nothing the man could do to repay. Yet he showed mercy, not giving him what he deserved. But then he took it another step, didn't he? He also gave grace. What is grace? Grace is giving someone what they could never deserve. In mercy, he didn't give and ever repay the debt, and yet he forgave it completely. He completely let it go, completely released him and forgave him of this overwhelming debt. The master was the only one who could do it, but he did. He forgave him completely. I don't know about you, but for me, that's a powerful example. And at the same time, it powerfully convicts me to challenge myself and examine, do I forgive in that way? With God's help, do I really release others and forgive them that debt completely from the heart? So often, sadly, I'm reminded of the illustration of these two little brothers, and we're kind of like this so often in our culture and in our own hearts and lives. There were two brothers one day that were in the backyard playing, and something happened. They got rambunctious, and, and the big brother got hit in the eye with a stick. He got hit in the eye with a stick, and as he got hit in the eye with a stick, man, he, he, he got mad. It embarrassed him that his little brother had gotten him like that, and, and they kind of went back and forth with words all afternoon, and they were, they were mean to each other and rude to each other all throughout dinner, and then finally nighttime came. It was bedtime, and they're still back and forth at each other. And the mama sat down with both those boys, and she said, boys, it's bedtime. It's time to go to bed, but you need to put this situation to bed, and you, you need to ask each other to forgive each other because y'all have done wrong. And she began to put them on this little bit of a guilt trip, and finally the older brother looked at her, and he said, Mama, I can't forgive him. I can't forgive him for what he did to me. And the mother looked at him, and she said, Honey, if something bad were to happen tonight, you would feel awful about it. If you were to die tonight, your brother would always live with this, and this wouldn't be good for you either, so you need to forgive him right now. And that older brother kind of softened his neck for just a moment, and he said, well, I forgive him tonight then. I forgive him. But if I'm still alive in the morning, he better look out. <laughs> Isn't that like us? God, I, I'll forgive him right now because I know it's what the message is on on Sunday. God, I'll forgive him right now because I know it's what I'm supposed to do. But I'm telling you, as soon as something else creeps in, God gives us life and breath tomorrow, we're right back to it, holding on to it. But not the master. The master received the plea for forgiveness. The master responded with great compassion and the master completely released the man of his debt. Please understand without hesitation, without reservation, without contemplation, he willingly forgave the man. Please, I hope you understand this morning. This is a picture of how God forgives us. There was nothing about this wayward servant that deserved to be forgiven, but he came broken and he came humble and he prostrated himself and he basically said, be merciful to me. And the master showed great mercy. 
The Bible tells us in Psalm 51 verse 17 that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. I was talking with someone just last week. The word contrite literally means to lay flat. It's the idea of someone who comes broken and they come repentant. You lay flat so that God can be the one to make you right with him, to fill you up and to lift you up to be the vessel God wants you to be. That's what David prayed in that moment of desperation when he realized his sin. He realized what he'd done. He realized the adultery that he committed. He realized the sin that he'd brought into his own heart and life. And he came broken before God. And he said, God, be merciful to me. Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. When we come broken before God, God is gracious to forgive. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, He gives a greater grace. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, whether it's 10,000 talents or a single talent, grace is needed all the more, yet He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Y'all all right this morning? We see the picture of forgiveness, but secondly, we see the problems of forgiveness. Verse 28 starts with a very simple and yet sobering word. God starts with this incredible picture of forgiveness and grace and mercy. But then verse 28 starts with the word, but. God's full of grace and mercy and compassion to forgive, to heal, to restore, to set you free. But there's a change coming. A contrast is coming. A change in tone is about to occur. We see how the master is forgiving. But I don't see the problems of forgiveness with man. The Bible then tells us the man has been forgiven this incredible debt. A debt he could never repay. Something about him experiencing this grace and mercy and forgiveness calls him to realize that there are some people who owe him. Yeah, he may have owed the king 10,000 talents, but you know what? There are some people who owe me too. I'm not the only sinner in this room. There are other people who sinned against me too. See, in essence, what he's saying. I want you to see three things that hinder him from forgiving someone else. The first is I want you to see his self-righteous attitude. The moment he began to turn his attention away from his own sin, he went the wrong direction. As he experiences this release from this overwhelming debt that he could never pay, he suddenly begins to realize, wait a second, there are some people who owe me. There are some people that have done me wrong too. Verse 28, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, when the Bible says that he went out, it means that he went out searching. He's on the prowl. Wait a second, who owes me? Oh, there's Mac. Oh, boy, did it again this week. He owes me. He sinned against me. Dana, that is one shady character. He has sinned against me. He owes me too. Stacy, mm, there's no hope for Stacy. Somebody else over here, okay? That's what this guy's doing. I've been forgiven so much, and now I'm looking, who has sinned against me? In his self-righteous attitude, he's no longer looking at what he's done. He's trying to find all the things that other people have done against him. Now, now, did somebody owe him? Yes. By the way, he finds a guy who sinned against him. He finds a guy who owes him a hundred denarii. Now, that was no small amount of money. A denarii was a money term. It was the worth of one day's wages. So there was a guy that owed him 100 days worth of income, if you will. It's a lot of money, no small amount. But here's the difference. He could weigh the offense against him in days. The weight he had been forgiven of could only be measured in lifetimes. But in his self-righteous attitude, he no longer could see what he'd been forgiven of. In his self-righteous attitude, he no longer saw the seriousness of his sin. In his self-righteous attitude, all he could see was the offense and the sin and the problem that had been done against him. He totally forgot about this enormous weight over here that the master released him. All he saw was the minor infraction against himself. So what does he do? He self-righteously takes matters into his own hands. 
He's not waiting. The master had waited for the person to be brought to him for accountability. But instead, he goes on the prowl. He goes out looking. He's, it's actually, he's actually kind of living like a, like a blame, if you will. By his actions, he's basically saying, you, buddy, if you had paid me back, I would have been able to pay the, ma- the master back. It's your fault. You've done this sin against me. This self-righteous attitude hindered him from forgiveness. Secondly, his sinful aggression hindered him from forgiveness. Notice the statement, verse 28. That slave went out, found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. Now, when the scripture says it seized him, the phrase literally means he put hands on him. Now, this is not like the book of Acts. They laid hands on him and prayed for him, okay? This is aggressive. He's seizing him by force. And the scripture says, He's choking him. You get a picture of this guy who's so wrapped up in his self-righteousness and the sin that's been done against him. He's in essence saying, you owe me. You're going to pay for this. You've done this. You deserve this. Now, listen, I pray that none of us would ever be in a place where we are physically acting in that way. May God whip us up and down one side or the other if that's ever the case. But I imagine that verbally, emotionally, mentally, how often do people sin against us? And by our loud tones, our name calling, our passive-aggressive action, our stonewall of silence, our complete separation and rejection, how often are our actions saying, you owe me? You've hurt me. You've done this, and now I'm going to do this. I'm gonna remind us this morning that the Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 and 27, verses 29 through 31 reminds us of those hurts and those wounds, that anger. It says this, it says, do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Listen to this, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Listen to this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger And clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Clamor, what is that? Clamor are those heightened tones, that that, that, that screaming when you're losing it emotionally. Clamor, Brother Andrew did a wonderful job playing the drums and does a great job and it sounds good. But man, if he were just sitting here clanging the cymbals, wham, 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 it would be overwhelming. Verbally, some of us are like that. That's slander. That's, that's the undertones, the murmuring, saying things under our breath. Can you believe I did that again? That guy's a jerk. Someone's like, is he talking about me right now? What's he saying? Malice is words spoken with the intent to wound. When we allow anger and bitterness and resentment to find a home in our heart, it will manifest itself in all those ways and more. We see that with the man you owe me. Finally, we see the serious assessment. Notice what he does. Verse 29. So his fellow slave fell to the ground. He began to plead with him saying, please have patience with me and I will repay you. It's the same exact verbiage. The servant had gone before the king. Please be patient with me and I will repay you. And the king showed mercy and forgiveness and compassion and grace and all these wonderful things. And then the same guy turns around to someone else and the guy says, please be patient with me and I will repay you. But what does he conclude? He concludes that this guy doesn't deserve forgiveness. This guy doesn't deserve mercy and grace. He has assessed the situation for himself. In essence, basically, this guy has become his own prosecutor, the jury, and the judge. He determines it's only fair for the man to pay his time and experience the consequence of his actions. So notice what he does, verse 30. He was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. 
Because this forgiven servant was so filled with anger and unforgiveness, he was determined to punish the one who had sinned against him, even though he had been forgiven of so much. Let me ask you a question. How does that make you feel? Here's a guy who's been forgiven so much. And yet when this little thing's done against him, he's saying, you deserve the consequence of your actions. You're going to be in prison. It probably disgusts you. How dare he, right? Apparently we're not alone because even the other servants that saw what was going on came to the king. And in that, I want to show you this morning the third thing, the price of unforgiveness. The price of unforgiveness. His fellow slaves saw what had happened. They were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. And summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? His Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. Because the forgiven servant was only focused on the punishment that his offender deserved to pay, he completely ignored the punishment that he was paying or would pay because of his own unforgiveness. So the Bible tells us three things happen in the price of unforgiveness. Number one, I want us to see the prison. What does the king do? The king comes to him and says, how could this be? You're very wicked. I forgave you of all this and you're refusing to forgive him of that small thing. And what does he do? The Bible says he sentenced him to prison. Some translations say he handed him over to the jailers. There's a prison that's there. His freedoms are now gone. His opportunities were gone. His future, now dim. Joy seems to be escaping. In fact, as a prisoner, every night the last thing he would think about were the shackles that held him bound. And in the morning when he woke up, the first thing he would think about and see were the shackles that held him bound. He was in prison. Truth be told today is that when we live our life with unforgiveness, we're very much in a prison. It may not be the physical prison with bars and with chains and with handcuffs, but the simple reality is, is that when we live our life with unforgiveness, in the same way, we experience a type of prison where our joy is limited, our peace is gone, the, the, the opportunities seem over, our joy is constantly lacking, and constantly we're living with the shackles in our mind of what's been done against us and how we're a victim and all these different things. We see the prison. Secondly, we see the punishment. The scripture says, as the Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. Now, there's an understanding of this translation that sometimes is confusing because the word for jailer and the word for torturer were so common in that culture. Another translation says it best. It says it this way, his master got angry, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. Now, in the Roman world, prison was not the place you wanted to be. They invented all sorts of cruel ways for torture and for torment. It's not the place you wanted to be at all. But what Jesus is doing is he's giving us a graphic picture of what goes on in the heart, mind, and life of a person who refuses to forgive. They experience a torment unlike anything else, a sort of torment, frankly, that is self-induced. They're consumed with what has happened to them. They're consumed with what's been done wrong. They're consumed with their hurt. They're consumed how they'll never get better. They're consumed with getting revenge. They're consumed with, 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 with their whole situation. It is consuming. It is a type of punishment. But the third thing we see about the price of unforgiveness is, frankly, we see the persistence of it. It's the permanence of it. It's the fact that it doesn't go away. The Bible says it this way. The master said, hand him over to the tortures until he should repay all that was owed him. But remember, he owed him 10,000 talents. He's never going to serve his full time because he's going to eventually die in this. In other words, it's not going away. So often someone will sin against us and some hurt will occur in the family or some hurt will occur in the church and we think, well, let some time pass and everything will be better. 
Time will not heal that wound. Well, when, when, you know what? When my, when my opponent has, goes through a difficult situation, when they go through hardship, then, then, then I'll be at peace. They could get sick of the worst disease possible and die, and you're still not going to be at peace. Well, you know, when, when God kind of balances the scales, what if he doesn't? So, Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is, is that this picture that Jesus gives is of an unending torment that would occur in this prison because of his unforgiveness. It is a powerful picture for us today of this simple fact. Warren Wiersbe says it best. The world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. If we refuse to forgive others, then we are only imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. The world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. If we refuse to forgive others, we're only imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. Final thing, and we'll be dismissed. I want you to see the principle of forgiveness. What is the point? What is Jesus saying about forgiveness? He says it clearly in verse 33, doesn't he? Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Verse 35, my heavenly father will do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. No matter how great someone has sinned against you, it will never amount to the extent and the weight of what our sin was against God. So often in our minds, we like to self-righteously sit on the throne and be the prosecutor and be the judge and to be the jury and to look at all the different ways that we have been done wrong. But please understand, the person who cannot release others of their offense shows that they think very little of their own offenses that have been committed against God. You might be here this morning and say, Pastor, but you don't know. What that person did was so wicked and was so evil and was so vile and was so wrong and was so bad. That may be true, but please understand, God never called you to be the judge. That person is not likely gonna ever give an account to you, but they do have a judge and they will give an account. You forgive them, you release that, you let it go, and you look to God so that you can be in right relationship with God. The Bible says of this man that he experienced this torment, and Jesus gives us this powerful picture. The principle is this, as God has forgiven you much, you be faithful to forgive others. No matter how wronged I may be, it will never compare to the wrong that I personally have committed against God. No matter how someone may lie about me or lie against me, no matter what somebody might do against me, here's the simple reality. I, Matthew Kirkland, my sins against God have been far greater than anything that somebody might do against me. My sins, my sins were so evil and were so vile that it demanded Jesus' death and crucifixion on the cross so that they could be forgiven and washed clean. It doesn't matter what someone else did. What matters is the fact that I know that I've sinned and God in his grace and mercy paid a price that I could never pay so that I could be set free from it all. And in that forgiveness, we're called to forgive others. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says it this way, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, powerful statement, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Just as Christ has forgiven you, just as he offers forgiveness to all of us here today, we are to forgive one another. Or C.S. Lewis said it, it goes like this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So pastor, that's impossible. It is in your own strength. Pastor, I, I, I can't do that. I know you can't, but I know the one who can. I'm convinced this morning, frankly, there are two types of people here today. There are some of us here today, frankly, who need to be forgiven of God. 
Instead of denying our sin, putting on a smile on our face and acting like everything's fine, putting on an appearance before man, some of us today, like the man who owed the debt that he could never repay, he was called in the act, man. Some of us today need to lay prostrate before God, bending our knee before God, humbling ourselves and say, God, I have sinned against you. Please show me mercy and grace. Please forgive me. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. The only thing that can hinder you from not being forgiven is yourself and refusal to turn to him. Some of us here today need to be forgiven by God. But secondly, there are some of us here today who need to extend that same type of grace and mercy to others. Some of us in our families, our marriage, some of us in the church, on the community, that guy did you wrong. That lady said that years ago. You're wondering today, well, why am I not growing spiritually anymore? Why do I not have joy in the Lord like I used to have? I think for some of us, God is saying, because you're like the wicked servant that was forgiven much and yet refused to forgive. My hope and prayer today is that we will practice what the song said many moments ago, that as God has forgiven us, we will forgive others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time together. Thank you for the power, a powerful message from your word on forgiveness. God, I, I confess that sometimes in my self-righteousness, it's, it's easy to justify my anger or it's easy to justify my action. And God, so often what you're calling me to is to forgive and to show grace and mercy as you have shown it towards me. God, I usually don't like that, but it's what I need. God, I pray today that you will be with each of us here today. If there's anyone here today, God, that is today still has not repented of their sins, still has not turned to you, still has not sought your forgiveness and grace, I pray that today will be the day that they experience your grace and forgiveness in a personal and real way. God, I pray even as the man fell on his face, humbled and broken before you and said, basically, please be merciful to me and you showed him compassion. God, I pray that today we would experience your compassion, your mercy and grace because we've humbled ourselves before you. But God, I pray there's anyone here today that is struggling with forgiving others. Whatever that situation was, whatever that current pain is God I pray that you would help us by your grace through your power to forgive others we can't do that on our own I can't do that on my own I need you and I need your help I need the Holy Spirit's control of my life so God I pray that today will be a day of restoration and healing as we experience and as we offer forgiveness I pray in Jesus name Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.